I shut down a high school party uh, a couple days ago. Was it uh, was it just too loud? Too loud for you? It was just it was like the entire high school parked up and down our street to to the point where like you could hardly get through because we live on like a little like side street and they were parked on both sides um, like running through people's yards and it was like <sighs> I wouldn't really care if it was ten people but it's like the whole school. Yeah. Anyway, well, if you're listening and you were at that party, I'm sorry. This is the Flyover Indies podcast, where Kansas City area game developers talk about what we're playing, what we're making, what we're learning, and just by listening, you are part of the game development process. I am Caleb J. Ross. I'm a member of Flyover Indies, and I'm a game developer. Joining me today are Charlotte Tribble, co-founder of Flyover Indies, and also a game developer. How are you, Charlotte? Hi, I'm doing pretty well. (laughs) Good, good. And also with us is Gage Bradley, second time. So you did you didn't F it up last time. We we brought you back. That's good news, right? So Gage, he's a member of Flyover Indies, musician and game developer. How are you, Gage? I'm good, thank you. This episode is gonna be a fun one for me, uh, for nobody else, I think. So we're gonna do our standard talk about what we've been playing, what we've been learning from it. That's all fun and good. Uh, I enjoy that part. Um, But then we're going to talk about our main topic, which is brainstorming, which is legitimately one of my favorite things of all time. Uh, I threw it on our topics list a while ago, kind of as as basically the worst idea of topic ideas, something that people would avoid, um, which is actually a brainstorming tactic, believe it or not. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, But uh, the feedback, at least from you, Charlotte, Mm -hmm. um, was you don't think you're very good at brainstorming. Yeah, I don't. (laughs) That just got me... All, uh, all, all that just got me thinking about like you know why why do people why are people sort of uh, averse to brainstorming that sort of thing I don't we'll get all into that but I I just want the listener to know when you hear brainstorming don't run away I'm very passionate about it I think it's an awesome tool so hopefully my passion will be contagious and and that'll be fun uh, I should. I shouldn't follow that intro of brainstorming up with this next piece of news, which is bad news, and that is we won't have a game today, unfortunately. Um, uh, we usually, at the end of all of the episodes, will play a game, and we won't today because I was just very lazy and did not get questions together. So uh, in lieu of that, we're going to have ourselves a live brainstorming session. You guys should be scared, Charlotte Gage. <laughs> We'll see how it goes. It, it, it won't be, be a full-on brainstorming session, but it'll be just a way to sort of see how you feel about it after we dissect it, uh, which is always the best thing to do when you're jumping into a creative endeavor is to pick it apart until all the magic is gone <laughs> and, and then embrace it. Deconstruct yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's, let's jump right into the fun stuff. What have we been playing? Um, I want to start with Charlotte. Yeah, I'm. I'm just going to start with Charlotte. I think I started with Charlotte last time. So, yeah, there you go. We're starting with you again, Charlotte. Uh, what have you been playing, and and what has it been teaching you about game de- development, game design? Yeah. Uh, so let's see. I'm I'm not finished with this game yet. I'm still in progress with it. But I've been playing Unpacking. Um, and if you're not familiar with it, uh, this is a like kind of a, a quiet little game where you are 
taking boxes of stuff and as you move throughout like your character's life you have to unpack those boxes and decide most importantly where does all of this stuff go um and it's it's just kind of like a, a fun little quiet game, great music atmosphere and all that. And one of the things that struck me about it uh, pretty much immediately is just how great the environmental storytelling is with this and how they're able to do quite a bit with very, very little. Um, they're not like, it's not very like word heavy, so to speak, like everything is shown to you through this process of opening a box and finding out what's inside and then having to explore your space and decide what goes where. Um, and the reason why this is kind of special is it's not just a collection of like semi-random boxes full of junk as a very non-generous way to explain what it could have been, um, but you're, you're unpacking basically the like a moment in time of this one character's life. And so it, you're progressing where at first you're a child and then um, I think I'm gonna try not like, it's not like a spoiler heavy game or anything like that, but like as you age, there are other like milestones that you go through of like, oh, now, now you're um, in college and you're unpacking your dorm and now you're out of college and kind of next phase of your life. And it's really interesting to see what kinds of items continue to show up in, in these boxes from one stage in, in your life to the next, and then how the decisions that you end up making about where to put these items also changes. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, they, they do a lot with a little, and it, they're able to get this really great feeling of like evolving and having to set some things aside as your life moves on i've seen some gameplay of it and yeah that what you're saying strikes me as like exactly kind of what my thoughts were just like watching some people unpack some things like for me organizing is a little bit therapeutic then it is cool to see like as you pull the things out of the box which i think you don't really know what they are until you like unwrap them right um every now and then you pull something out you're like oh my god like i remember having something kind of like this as a kid where would i have put this when i was in my room it was over here and then like so you kind of yeah fall into that frame of like where was i at that point in my life and it's like nostalgic but it's also it's crazy that they were able to kind of like capture that but you also don't really realize it's happening it's almost like Mm -hmm. a a personality test that you don't know you're taking it's really interesting it's really like touching and kind of sad at the same time at certain moments. Um, and yeah, the, that feeling of like being able to connect it to your own experiences, like wh- whether that's like moving or growing up or whatever, <laughs> like I, I definitely had those moments too of like, oh, I, I remember having something like this or I remember like it literally moving on from this one other otherwise like sentimental item that eventually was like, I'm going to put this in the back of the closet or shit, this is going back to my parents' house or in the car to be donated somewhere or what what have you. And just like having, you know, those items that change as life moves on. So it's a great game. I've always been fascinated by the idea of, of gamifying the mundane. And it, it's almost like a subgenre in and of itself. I feel like it was, it's sort of a subgenre born out of like, 
nonsense simulators, right? Like after Goat Simulator, there was like that was nonsense for nonsense sake. And then you have like Surgeon Simulator and I Am Bread and these games that are like, let's be as absurd as possible with something completely mundane and and something that you shouldn't really be able to gamify. And like just that concept itself was sort of the draw for a lot of those games. Like, isn't this crazy? I'm a goat doing goat things. This is nuts. Um, and I feel like this this gamifying the mundane, which this is an example. There's a few others out there. There's one um, that I played a while ago that was just like a balancing. Um, it was basically just like a teeter-totter that you would put things on. And the whole game was just to try to balance and get it as high as possible. There was no real narrative or anything there. But I feel like that, that gamifying the mundane is kind of a way for people to a way for developers to fight against the absurd simulators or the nonsense simulators and just say, okay, yeah, but let's take it seriously. Let's like do something serious with this. Um, and then you've got games like Power Wash Simulator and things like that, which are kind of in the middle ground where those are more like those are less a game and they're more speaking to just satisfying endeavors. And I feel like I feel like unpacking is is hitting such highs with a lot of people because it's it's part of a genre that people are still excited about because it's that fairly new genre that sort of uh you know simulator type of thing uh, gamifying the mundane and everything but then that added element that you spoke to charlotte of, of the actual narrative there which is something that a lot of those games don't have and even the narrative even though the narrative is sort of it feels like anyway i haven't played it i've just watched a lot of game footage but it feels like it's implied like you were saying um it's not overt. It's not saying like this is necessarily the story. It's you're sort of assigning story to these artifacts that you kind of pick up. Um, and that's just really, really kind of exciting. And it makes me wonder, like my head goes in two places. One's it's like, what's the next version of this? What's the next thing that someone's going to make that is doing something very similar. And so to try to answer that question, that, that leads me to like my second thought, which is, okay, well, I want to put myself in the position of the developers and think like, how would they have come up with this idea to begin with, right? Is it they were literally unpacking something themselves and they thought and they were making decisions and they realized, okay, anytime there's a decision to be made, there are factors that go into that decision. Therefore, anything that anything that requires a decision could be gamified, right? Like maybe that's where gamifying the mundane comes from. Like I might have a decision of like, uh, let's say let's I'm washing dishes, right? That's mundane. Um, why am I going to wash a, a knife instead of a fork right now? Is it because it's closer? Is it because I have a system where I want to get all the silverware done first? Like, I feel like you could be in a room with people and start talking about, like, what could you do to gamify this? And that feels like maybe what could have happened with this is you're unpacking stuff why are you putting things in these places and putting things what's why are these the things that are in the box yeah that's where the narrative comes into like, play what, like, what oh, is your personal process here Every, yeah. everybody's going to have a, di a different approach and like with with a um you know i'm going to wash the dishes simulator like i would wash dishes very differently probably than anybody else and like being able to see like okay this is how i'm i'm doing it this is what works for me um back in my earliest of game development days when I was just ideas with no skills at all. Um, so like a week ago, um, <laughs> when I, uh, I had this idea of having like, I, I felt like I, I wanted to make sort of a, a, a game. I wanted to gamify the mundane. So there's this book by Ian Bogust, who's a, who's pretty well known, like in the, in the video game 
academia world. Mm -hmm. Um, And he wrote a book that was called, I think it was just called How to Play Video Games or How to... It was a very dumb title, but like the, the basic premise is that video games aren't being used as prevalently in society as they could be. Like they don't have to just be forms of entertainment. They can be used throughout life to do various different things. And of course he touches on things like they can be helpful from like a psychological standpoint and and maybe therapy and stuff like that. But then he also makes the comments about uh, when you're sitting in an airplane and you have, um, and you're being taught like how to exit the plane, you know, they're doing their stand up spiel thing where they talk about like, here's how you buckle your seatbelt, all this kind of stuff. And nobody ever pays attention to it ever. (laughs) Well, why not leverage the screens on the, on the uh, chair in front of you to actually allow you the 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 passenger passenger to to like touch the screen if they're touch screens or use a controller or whatever, but like to actually walk the path of the plane to the exit. Mm-hmm. So you're already sort of mapping in your brain exactly where the exit is. You're getting some spatial awareness of where the exit is, which is way more effective than just listening and watching someone point to it. And so these types of small things of gamifying the mundane, he really preaches for in that book. And so I read that book um, when I was. Uh, again, like full of ideas, but no talent or skill whatsoever. And I had the idea of like, I wanted to gamify every step of a person's day. So like from waking up, like how would you gamify turning off the alarm, right? Of your, of your, of your, of your alarm clock. And I would definitely be making that a pretty absurd game. (laughs) You'd have to, right? Like that's, and that's where my head goes to like the whole day would become ragdoll ragdoll physics absurdity and nonsense um you know brushing your teeth like and i was trying to break down every single decision that would go into that like what is the decision for hitting the snooze versus just turning off the alarm right now yeah there's probably not a whole lot of factors that could go into a play there's not like a lot of gameplay functionality there but if you stack those up and you maybe make like a day's worth of like WarioWare micro game kind of things and it's just it's the day and everything that's everything that's seemingly mundane let's make let's gamify it yeah <laughs> i obviously never did that but it still could be kind of fun so mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's it's really that's such a good idea and i feel like those those types of games are really fun i would rather watch someone play them almost than play them myself because <laughs> you're just like putting someone's everyday actions that nobody thinks about under a magnifying glass and then you, you know it's kind of like a um it's a little bit of a vulnerable experience, kind of, if you think about it. Um, yeah, could you imagine playing Unpacking with your partner and you put something somewhere and they're like, oh, oh, that that's that's what you're, where, where you're going to put that? All right. Oh, I, yeah. I wouldn't have put that there. Okay. <laughs> oh, I, I'm learning something about you. You just... <laughs> You just put your stuffed animals on the bookshelf. Okay. Okay. I knew you moved my watch stuff. earlier. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly where you would have put they it. They pan over. There's a bowl full of watches and unpacking like, huh, that uh, seems weird. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, well, let's jump into then. Uh, I should I should play unpacking. I really should. I, I don't yeah. want to. I want to tie the ribbon on that. But that's the game I've had my eye on. And it seems like my kind of game. So uh, good. Good bring, Charlotte. Um Let's go with Gage and Shin Megami Tensei Five, a game I will never play. <laughs> yeah, very fair. I mean, it's it's a very long game. I'm probably 40 hours into it and not close to finishing it. Um, but I'll compare it to Pokemon because it's this is an I, from what I understand, it's an old series, and this is the first entry I've played, which is the newest one. Um, but for those, if you're not familiar with it, it's a monster 
catching, quote unquote, taming RPG, the Japanese RPG. So it's very battle heavy, like strategic. Um, not a whole lot of dialogue in this one actually, which is what make, which is why I want to talk about it because it's interesting to me. When I think of RPG, I think of like you know a very full world of NPCs so you can talk to. Hopefully you know they don't say the same line 50 times sometimes that's the case but this one is interesting to me because from the beginning of the story there are maybe four other characters other humans i should say it, the concept is that you are whisked away to like an alternative alternative or like a parallel universe in which japan is destroyed right and then you get fused with the demon to become like a new like a demigod kind of but like four of your classmates come with you and you see them maybe like every four hours and talk to them once. So there's very little dialogue throughout this whole game, which seems like it wouldn't work because it's an RPG, right? It seems like those games are very dialogue heavy. But what's interesting about this one is to tame or catch these demons that you encounter, you have to talk to them. And so you kind of... you diverge from like the battle you can stop in the middle of the battle and decide to talk to them to try to get them to join your team and these conversations can go very bad like very quickly depending on what you say and they're a little bit like it's hard to gauge what they want but you have to negotiate with them like they want something from you and you have to figure out what that is or say the right things but i realized about halfway through the game which took me too long to realize this but they've worked all the dialogue into all the characterization is going into those conversations you have with the demons that you're catching and not with the, like, that's why they don't have a lot of other characters. And I thought that was really interesting because it seems so different. Um, but yeah, it's the, I guess the dialogue is extremely impactful of the gameplay. Like everything you say determines if they're going to join your team, which I like better than, you know talking to like the baker in a bakery and them saying like a one-liner and you're like oh that's good i'm probably not not going to remember that <laughs> by the end of the game but um yeah it just seems like a really Those npcs give you way too much information when you just met them yeah. like, <laughs> right. their life story yeah. exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah um i'm just trying to buy socks man <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man but yeah it's it's been really good um the battles are are good. They they're very difficult, but the rules are very clear. So they're they're punishing, but they're fair, um, which is interesting. They use a similar like typing weakness system to Pokemon, but but you have a lot more control over your team. Um, so everything is more like a puzzle than it is a pure numbers game, which is interesting. Have you played any of the uh, Persona games by chance? I have, and that's what actually made me interested in trying out this because i understand those are a branch off or like a spinoff of yeah yeah so the shin megami tensei games are the original and then one of them probably shin megami tensei 2 3 i don't know like is basically called like shin megami tensei like persona and it's that's kind of where the branching started like happened and then so that that forked into its own series the persona series and i've never played a shin megami shin megami tensei game um, but I have played Persona 5. Uh, I played the Persona 5 Royal, um, which turns out maybe not have, was not the best decision. It was a game that I put 
like 80 hours into and really enjoyed actually but then there's like one boss that's pretty much impossible toward the end of the game and i was like i'm done i can't i can't get past it but the the i from my understanding is like yeah the shimigami tensei games they kind of do focus it, it's generally like a single character or one or you know you you're kind of a single character but with a party that you kind of intermittently communicate but it's mostly about the demon fusion and stuff like that and then persona is more about like a party system and it's more of a traditional i guess rpg in that sense there's a party system and there's definitely still fusion like demon fusing and stuff like that in in persona games as well and it's pretty in depth but my understanding is that like it's it's not as like the core of the game like it's really cool and fun to do and you need to do it to get good demons to fight for you but it's not like the build the game isn't necessarily built around that necessarily and so yeah Yeah, exactly it's it's definitely more um story heavy i feel like persona is or relationship heavy um in a good way but it's it's interesting how stark the differences are between a series that branched off from another um but yeah i I just i've been having a lot of fun with that one it's very different than anything i've played so uh so for me i've been playing mass effect 2 uh fresh off of mass effect 1 so i played played uh mass effect 1 i got that legendary edition three pack i've never played any of the mass effect games i've heard they're games that i would appreciate that i would like i like a rpg even though this is barely i'm i like a a a narrative heavy sort of shooter that's has some leveling up kind of system so i wouldn't go so far as to call it an rpg but it's still it's really fun uh so i played mass effect 1 loved it went on to mass effect 2 i'm in the middle of mass effect 2 right now and mass effect 2 is widely considered by the people by fans to be the best one of the three um for reasons that i don't fully understand and i think that's kind of what i want to talk a little bit about so um on that point so a lot of what people will say is mass effect 2 has more uh character relationships um than the first one does and that's kind of why they like it so much which i get i understand um that's that's probably true but what's mass effect 2 does i think not very well is that its main core the main impetus to the mission the sort of call to action is given to you rather than you discovering it on your own so in mass effect 1 you're kind of a ragtag group uh you 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 go to you're you're being told to go visit this important planet that has this important artifact that you need to get to before the bad guy gets to it and so you're like i gotta get to this thing i gotta and once you once you get to the thing something happens which alters your own brain chemistry and allows you to do things you couldn't do before and so you start piecing together this larger puzzle um, of conspiracies and things like this. And ultimately you, you are invested in this mission. You're, you've discovered this mission. You're central to it because the, the artifact is literally a part of you now. And so you are, you're motivated to, to, to go out there and, and, and accomplish this mission because you discovered it yourself. And there's, there's, there's sat, that's satisfying. Whereas in mass effect two, immediately at the beginning of it, you're, 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 ba- you're told by a character literally called the elusive man um, <laughs> that you have to go do this mission. Okay. It's like, I, I have assigned this to you. Go do the mission. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, and then, so then the game is you like, you, you, he literally gives you a stack of like dossiers to say, here's all the people that you need to get on your team. And so it's, you're going through a checklist and you're like, I got to visit this planet to go pick up this person and do some kind of mission to convince them to come onto my team and then at, at 
rinse and repeat for, you know, eight people or whatever. Um, and I'm kind of in that, that stage right now where I'm recruiting all of these people and I put, I think 15 or so hours into it and it's like a 24 hour game or whatever. So maybe I'm a little bit more than halfway. So my thinking is that the people who really, the, the players who really loved Mass Effect 2, um, and the character relationships, I'm, I'm hoping that once I fill out the dossier and I have my entire team, that's where sort of those interpersonal relationships kind of come into play and make the game a little bit more interesting because right now it's just frankly is not interesting at all. Um, and so uh, I, I play it for the shooty missions, which is not really what I would normally do in a game like this. And so that tells me a lot about like how much fun I'm having with it, which is not a terribly large amount of fun. Um, so that's, that's my hope is what I'm, I'm going to get there and that's going to be fun. But um what I think the, uh, the the sort of positive thing that I want to take from it from so I guess the lesson there in summary the lesson there is like missions are way better when you when you discover the mission as opposed to when it's given to you um, so that's something that I that I think it can really be done with good storytelling had like an investment in it somehow exactly like, I want to do this mission versus I have to <laughs> it's like get to versus have to right and that's where I think good narrative and characterization can come can can come from it can really help push that forward in a way um so for example i'm, I'm working on like ideating on a, on a game right now where you play as a golf ball Ooh. and you're a golf ball who has amnesia and can't remember what kind of ball it is and so it travels the world like talking with other balls trying to figure out like what what am i you know um and it's going to be absurd stupid funny but i thought like well just the fact that that if i said you play as a golf ball and you and you go around and you roll around a world to to do whatever like who cares but as soon as you say this golf ball has a name it has a, an interesting sort of hackneyed backstory um of having amnesia and stuff you're like okay i kind of want to see what's going on with this golf ball like just a few lines of that flavor text that informs the rest of the game i think is super 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 helpful um and yeah mass effect 2 like it just doesn't do that to the degree that I would I would want it to, um, but the, the, so the so the other thing that I learned from this is I, I I was really taken aback by how cool it was to play a game, play the first game in a series and then play the second one right after it. Whereas in normal real time you would have to have waited two or three years I think about I, I think is the distance between <laughs> yeah. these two, and it's really cool because you get a sense of you can very easily see like the changes and so as a game designer a game developer i, I want to ask myself well why would they have chosen to do this thing that they mm -hmm. didn't that, that they didn't do in the first one or why did they get rid of this thing from the first one and even though i don't have insight into the people who made those decisions i at least have this data that i can sort of analyze and, and ma make my best guesses you know uh, an example is like that in the first game there's this tank thing that you can drive around called the Mako or Mako, one of the two. Mako, I think, is in Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. So Mako, probably. Um, and it's this thing you drive around, and at the time of the release of, of Mass Effect 1, everybody hated the way that this thing drove. It was hard to control. It was terrible. That was basically the narrative that ran with the game. It, it was just these were the worst parts of the game, right? So in the second one, they got rid of it, and now you have this like sort of hovering, flying thing that sort of replaces those those missions. Um, now, for the Legendary Edition, I should say they made the Mako drive better, so it's not as frustrating as it was when it was originally released, which is good. But knowing that they decided not to tweak the Mako driving for Mass Effect 2, but instead completely abandon it, I think says a lot about 
uh, it says a lot about what they wanted players to focus on, right? Like they didn't want players to be distracted by a conversation that says, does the Mako drive better in this one than the last one? Because then the conversation is still about the Mako and they don't want that. They want people to have conversation about other things. So it's like, let's not, we could make it better, but let's just get rid of it and do something else. Let's get that out of the, get that out of their, out of their head, which was really cool. Um, and then also the fact that the, the first game, your team at max you can have like five, I think, uh, people on your ship or whatever. Um, and the narrative at the time, or the, the the conversation about the game at the time was, oh, I really, I want to do more with these characters because I, I love, you know, establishing the relationships and, and building romances with these characters. And those are things you can do in the games. So in the second game, your roster is now like 10 characters. And so they probably thought people like these this relationship part. We as developers like making this relationship part. If you have more characters that's more possible relationship connections. So let's just throw more characters at it and then build the story from there. Um, which, like I said in, in my earlier comments, like I hope that plays out. I hope that's what I get to do next. I don't know that, um, but I hope that's that's the case. Um, so it was cool just to see these kind of things that they changed about the game and, and sort of try to wonder. And the things that they kept the same, like the weapon selection wheels and things like that are very much the same, which tells me that they, they, it's a game because it's never it's never been a game that's like focused on combat necessarily. There's a lot of combat, but it's pretty rudimentary, easy combat. There's nothing that's going to blow your mind about it. And the fact that they didn't really change it for the second one tells me that like, yeah, we're doubling down on the narrative. We're doubling down on the characters. We don't need to make the shooting better. You know, we don't. We might refine it a little bit, but we don't necessarily need to. And it's just cool to see to to intuit that sort of thought process from the developers. And, and I, I haven't played any of the Mass Effect games. Um... Uh, do you think you're going to move on and play the third one once you're done with two? I think I might. Um, depending on how how two ends, yeah. um, if it ends anything above a disappointment, then I probably will. Yeah. Um, I've heard three is also pretty good. And the conversations are, have always been, from, my, from what I've read and seen, is one is the worst. So people will argue about two or three being the best, yeah. but they all say definitively one is the worst. And because I like one so much, I'm like, God, I, I, there's got to be something I'm missing here. What's going on? So I, maybe I'll find what's missing in three. So yeah. I think so. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And interestingly enough, too, I also am kind of interested in Mass Effect Andromeda, which was the one that came out after three that everybody hated tanked expectations for there ever being a Mass Effect 4 until recently when a Mass Effect 4 was was announced as being in development. Um, but I heard that a lot of people hated Andromeda because it focuses a lot on like the resource gathering hmm. aspect okay. of, of Mass Effect, which has always been very ter- on the peripheral of the game. Mm-hmm. But I actually find myself really enjoying that part of Mass yeah. Effect 1 and 2, so I might actually kind of enjoy Andromeda. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. It's kind of funny to see like what kinds of games and elements within those games especially through a series that can draw people to certain ones um like yeah i don't know it's just always kind of fascinating to see just like how you were saying with these are the changes that they made from one to two versus these are the things that they doubled down on or kept the same maybe with a tiny tweak here and there just to kind of polish it up a little bit um yeah and just always think that's kind of cool to I like that these these games and and other games also uh, kind of jumping off of what you were saying, Charlotte. Like, there's a lot going on these in these games. There's a lot of different uh, game types, I guess. I won't necessarily say mechanics, but there's the resource gathering portion. There's the like 
driving portion, there's the combat portion, there's the narrative portion. So, And those were all present even in the first game. So you have all of these elements that they laid out on, on a platter. The developer said, here's the game, here's all the elements to it. Which is kind of smart because it does, like, there's a lot going on there and it could be very, very dangerous uh, from, from just a programming and, and time spent kind of perspective. But it also does sort of give this this meal and says, okay, players, here's all the stuff that, that you can have. And then if you were to follow the conversation about that later on, the publisher could then say, okay, I want a game that just focuses on this thing because that's the people that's the thing people are talking about. So it's almost like a testing ground for a lot of different, different ideas mm-hmm. if you put all of those ideas into one game to help spawn an audience for different portions of those games. Almost like, I guess, what probably... Persona and Shin Megami Tensei kind of did like right like the players really love this particular thing right. let's do a spin-off focusing on that particular thing and I think that's what they tried to do with Andromeda I think they were probably just tone deaf to the audience the audience actually didn't really want the uh, resource management stuff <laughs> um, same idea and concept though yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. always work out well now onto the fun stuff guys <laughs> are you excited oh, yeah uh <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to talk through brainstorming, um, and I say we're going to talk. I hope it's not just me, um, but I am super passionate about brainstorming. I think it's great. Uh, so I will ask for both of you just to shut me up if I get if I get stupid, long winded, please. Uh, you got it. But I would I do want to start first by just saying toss tossing over to you, Charlotte. Uh-huh. So when we were coming up with this idea, you had mentioned that you're not you don't you said I don't consider myself a great brainstormer. Yeah. And I think that's a good place to start because I would like to get a sense of what you th- why you think that maybe you're not good at brainstorming, what your conception of brainstorming is, mm-hmm. and that can help influence maybe the rest of the conversation. So yeah. so uh yeah. So what the fuck did I mean? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like I I really like brainstorming, just to put that out there. Like I like this, but I, I definitely don't consider myself like a real great brainstormer, but that could be because of like how I think of it. So um I think the thing that came to mind that made me go like um not a great brainstormer is uh I find myself trying to do a lot of, like, game jams, and oftentimes, uh, not every time, but oftentimes a game jam has some sort of theme, like, uh, just throwing out one that I see a lot for um, LD Jam, uh, like One Life to Live, or something like that, Um, where, as the themes are announced, particularly with that game jam, they kind of give you, like, a list of these are the potential ones, and what often happens to me is I'll, I'll be taking all of these themes, I'll write them down, and I'll attempt to brainstorm potential game ideas for each of these. That way, once the final one is actually announced, I already have something to roll with because time is very precious <laughs> during these game jams. I don't have time to brainstorm. Um, and I, it seems like more often than not, I really struggle to come up with ideas for not even just like all of the themes but maybe even like half or most of the themes like I I definitely uh, find myself like having a few of these kinds of things that I'm much more drawn to and I just hit like a blank wall with a lot of them and that that kind of is the the main uh, problem that I run into at least with myself and brainstorming is I either have like an onslaught (laughs) of ideas, like an unmanageable amount of like ideas to wade through, um, or I have nothing 
total like white screen static whatever like it's just not there and so I'm I'm always very impressed by people that I see that can just like regardless of how interested they are in the thing just churn out like one idea after another and it it definitely seems like when, whenever somebody's doing that they're all great ideas um it's like that's so impressive to me somebody who can just like brainstorm and be able to move past seemingly immediately and effortlessly though i'm sure that's not the case uh like that like initial hump of like i got nothing man <laughs> so that i think i think that's why i consider myself not great at brainstorming is it's either like all or nothing with me um yeah, yeah that's so. I'm, I'm just taking notes here like like <laughs> a proper like a proper person um because uh you said a lot of really interesting things there that i think uh I don't know. It's going to be very helpful, but I want to toss to you also, Gage. Like, yeah. what what do you think of when you think of brainstorming? Like, how would you define it? Man, I I think I have an idea of what it is, but that's very different than what I do. Um, <laughs> kind of like Charlotte, I'm not. I don't think I'm a great brainstormer. My my um, thought patterns tend to be more of like if is brainstorming as like you know a personification, more like a leaky faucet or like storm draining. <laughs> So like I pour all of my energy into like one idea and I'm really committed to that. And then I flesh that out, but then that's like, I'm putting all my eggs in that basket. And a lot of the time, like that basket just gets dropped immediately and all the eggs break. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. I It's, it's really hard. I think that where I struggle with it is I think I have, I have like uh, an attachment <laughs> issue to like the ideas that I come up with or I like try to make them work for too long. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it's, I'm too worried about like, I don't know, my creative integrity or something, which in this case should be the like least of, you know, like that's the first thing at the window is you're getting every <laughs> idea out there. So yeah, I tend to go, um, I tend to dive deeper and, and less, um, mm-hmm. my ocean is not very wide. I should say so yeah i'm excited to talk about this because it's something i really would like to to improve upon and i'm not good at it so this is going to be interesting yeah Yeah. same (laughs) man you guys said so many awesome things that like so if uh, i'm going to make a lot of assumptions probably uh probably unfair assumptions but for the sake of conversation i think it'll be important so i'm going to take what the two of you said as what the public in general would think of as, as like brainstorming. And so I'll be making a lot of assumptions about like, this is what it is. This is what it is and that sort of thing. But some of the things that you had mentioned that I want to kind of touch on is, is, you know, Charlotte, you mentioned that time when you're, especially for like a, for a game jam, like you don't have time to brainstorm. That's, that's, you know, and, and I, and I won't fight against that because brainstorming is something that takes time. Um, and it's and it's arguably maybe even not something that really needs to be used for for a game jam, you know, because one of the core purposes of of brainstorming in most cases is quantity. It's idea quantity, not necessarily quality. Um, and with game jams, you probably don't. I've I've never done a game jam myself, but I'm assuming here, like you probably don't want too much quantity. You kind of need to pick an idea and just run with it. Yeah. Um, and you got to get ready. And you can't so, really so fast. Don't worry too much about what direction you're running and just fucking go. Right, right. So it is possible that it's just not a, a good tool for for uh, for game jams. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, 
this also speaks to a little bit of what Gage was saying. Like you, 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 you often find yourself going too far with one idea. So you have an idea and you kind of just run with it. Um, and the implication there being that you're past the point of brainstorming, right? Like I've already got my idea. Now I'm going. And I think what a lot of people misconstrue about brainstorming is it, is it can be iterative. You know, you can actually brainstorm. Sure. You can brainstorm the seed of your plant if you want to, but you can also brainstorm the nodes as you go out. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and in, you can commit to one idea, go that idea. And then when you get stuck, say, okay, now I want to brainstorm something very specifically about this and you can branch off and and run with it. So that's very, very reasonable and logical. Um, And then the other thing that, um, I think was the, the, the two other things that I want to touch on now, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it as we get through there. But um, that's the idea that, um, you know, Charlotte, you said like uh, you'll, you'll, you'll brainstorm. And then I think you said something like I've got nothing, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that's, I think, I think that I got nothing feeling is it sounded to me like you're thinking of that as like, that's the, that's the, the end result of failed brainstorming or fr- fr- failed idea ideation or something like I've done this thing and I, I just can't think of anything I'm done mm-hmm. when really that, that sense of like, I've got nothing is should be the impetus to brainstorming. I've got nothing. Okay. Now mm-hmm. is the perfect time to brainstorm. Right. And, and it can be like, you can feel like a little bit lost because it's like, which direction do you go? Like, like the whole reason I got yeah. nothing is because I, I, I am not able to, curate this idea of things but you're saying not having nothing is the reason i should start curating things like how how does that that doesn't seem to correlate too well yeah. and so that'll get into some ideas of like rules about brainstorming and like how you can guide yourself and, and kind of push forward through those types of things um and then the other thing I, i'm assuming both of you when when you approach brainstorming in the ways that you've described have largely been kind of from a solo perspective it's mm-hmm. like just you yeah. kind of thinking through things mm-hmm. and brainstorming is actually much better as a group thing so yeah. it it it's really hard to brainstorm as a single person charlotte you mentioned mm-hmm. someone who you know you're doing game jams and someone just comes up with ideas 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 that's probably just a very unique thing that that person's able to do right they're able yeah. to iterate on their own ideas i think it is very a quickly for sure it's a mm-hmm. that's tough yeah. to do like so knowing that brainstorming works best as a group activity um is is something i think really worth keeping in mind because it helps people understand like it's not a fault of yours if you're unable to brainstorm solo. Yeah. It's just very difficult to do. Yeah, I, um, I definitely brainstorm better when it's like can riff off of something. But, exactly. but that, that's kind of the thing to your previous point of like, I, I need like a starting point or a handhold or just like anything to grab onto at first. And then we can start to run. <laughs> and that's where, and that's where the group, um, cause in, in any brainstorming section and we'll get to kind of this, like, it is something that, you know, there needs to be someone to sort of lead it. Someone needs to be standing in the room with a marker in hand in front of a whiteboard kind of thing. And having and just understanding that there is that role can often get people through that initial like starting seed because that person can sort of read the temperature of the room and understand people's comfort levels. Um, because brainstorming really is a weird mix of psychology because you if people if people don't want to be vulnerable in public mm-hmm. but you're literally asking them to be vulnerable in public uh and that's tough to do especially in a room full of people who consider themselves creative which yeah. is where brainstorming often happens so you're saying <laughs> i want all of you people who really cherish your ideas and think your ideas are great to give me a bunch of terrible ideas in front of people yeah that's a hard ask yeah. <laughs> you I know the, the self-selecting out the ideas that <sighs> like I think are not good is, is probably part of the like 
I got nothing because it's like I right. got I have no good ideas or I, I only have ideas that I consider to be like very low quality. Something that I try to do that, that I, I think I'm improving on, but it is still an incredible challenge is to even just like hedge the idea first before I either write it down or share it with others of like, hey, I know this sucks, <laughs> but I, I, I want to just get anything out there so we can just have something and even if it's a baseline for like we're immediately going to toss this thing in the garbage like that's okay <laughs> but something needs to happen out there <laughs> i'm i'm so glad we're having this this talk because like just the idea of 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 judging and critiquing your own ideas is already just an anthema to the idea to to the concept of brainstorming yeah. like it is you shouldn't bring your own worst critic <laughs> to brainstorm yeah well it, the, the idea of criticism is something that like doesn't exist in a brainstorming room mm-hmm. like it it literally is like it's hard to say like this idea is bad but i'm going to mm-hmm. say it anyway mm-hmm. because there is no concept of bad mm-hmm. like it's 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 really really freeing once you can get to that point so maybe that's yeah. maybe that's what i'll do is i'll kind of talk through like I'll, I'll talk through like the ideal sort of brainstorming scenarios maybe and, mm-hmm. and sessions. And then we can, I actually did, I'll probably maybe put these in the show notes um, Ooh, instead yeah. of actually just reading them verbatim. But uh, there are some sort of agreed upon rules of brainstorming that, oh, that listeners that. can find in the show notes um, that are, that are really helpful, really helpful guides. Mm-hmm. But let's start with maybe like when you might think to use brainstorming. So let's imagine that you are, you're on a team. So there's mm-hmm. more, so we're already, uh, doing something that most of us probably are not uh, accustomed to, but uh, ideally you're kind of in a team, you're in a group of people and there's, there's something that you, and you need to come up with ideas on something that can be as great as just what is this thing we're going to make? So you, speaking from a game development standpoint, it's like, okay, what kind of game are we going to make? You could have a brainstorming session. That's just what kind of game are we going to make? Or you could already have the game in place. Let's say we're creating a 2d platformer, uh, it's sort of space themed. It's going to be puzzle themed. We need to think of as many puzzles as we as we can. Like, let's just think about puzzles. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of the first step is sort of you identify what exactly it is that you guys are going to be brainstorming about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps people understand and keep things focused because you do need to keep things focused. Even though you want people to be free with their ideas, you have to keep them focused on the actual goal of the session. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is you got to establish what that goal is. Yeah. And, and this is a little clue into maybe what will uh, what we'll talk about during the brainstorming, the live brainstorming session we'll try later on. Um, but it will be something that's a little bit more narrow, narrow focus, not just let's think of a game, but let's iterate on these mechanics. Um, the other thing, so so you have this idea, like this is the thing we're going to talk about. Um, and then a really, really, really important thing is that uh, you you do acknowledge to like the group, like th- there's, there's no criticism here. Like this is, mm-hmm. we're going to come up with just as many crazy ideas as possible. I hate seeing the word crazy. See, yeah. already I'm, I'm judging what these ideas are going to be. <laughs> like, so we're just going to come up with ideas. Um, and often the person who's moderating can be the first to contribute because there usually is some sort of hesitation. And so the person can put up an idea, write something down or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important that that person doesn't say something like, okay, I'm just going to throw out the worst idea possible. Here you go. Cause already now people have this, they're primed to think of that as bad. Mm-hmm. And I want to create an idea that's better than that. Well, now you're already thinking in terms of good and bad. So gotcha. it's just, yeah. here's an idea. And the moderator has to, has to really, really, really be cognizant of that, like of saying good or bad. Now, other people in the room might say it, and it's not the role of the moderator to say 
don't use the word bad, don't use the word good. If they happen, if people in the room happen to say it, you got to let it go because you also don't want to put them down for contributing because now they're going to be less likely to contribute, (laughs) you know, and more. So you got to be, it's a, it's a weird kind of balancing act to be up there. The other thing that's really helpful, which we unfortunately won't be able to do here in this audio medium is being able to write the ideas down as people have them. That's really helpful for two reasons. One, it sort of solidifies the idea in a, in a way so that other, like I'm, I'm in the room, I'm saying something, I say something that might can be interpreted in multiple ways. Well, here's how the moderator interpreted it and they write it down. And now everyone can see that's the idea and they can then bridge off of that particular idea rather than trying to remember what they said and make assumptions about what they said. Like it's tact, it's, it's tactile, it's there. Yeah. So everyone can kind of look at it and that really helps things move along as well. And so once you kind of have all these ideas, you kind of write them down, you're just going, you're going through them or whatever. Um, then you just basically do that for, uh, a, a good amount of time. Like we will only do it for a few minutes here, but like brainstorming sessions can go an hour long or more, you know? And, and it's important for everyone to understand, like it is a very physically, well, it, it's a, it's a, it's an emotionally kind of demanding experience yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways, because you will be, be just sort of intellectually and emotionally drained by the end of it, especially if everyone's kind of firing on all cylinders and things are going really well. So afterwards, it's always good to kind of celebrate, have, have a little fun, like, hey, we, we made it through this thing. This was a big deal. Like, we got through it. Let's all get a drink or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really important to let people know that that they are expected to be a little bit exhausted by the end of it. Yeah, um, and so there's a lot of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so th- that's kind of like the layout of, of what a, a, a brainstorming kind of session should happen. Is there anything there that I said that, like, was surprising to you or something that you didn't think was part of the brainstorming process by chance? Uh, I haven't really thought of the idea of like a moderator or a facilitator as being so attached to the brainstorming process. Um, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I have actually participated in brainstorming sessions that have that element, but um, I don't think I really considered how helpful that can be to have somebody in that position that is kind of helping, you know, wrangle and set expectations and even just like keep a log of, you know, these are all the ideas that people have had, regardless of what that idea is. I think this isn't necessarily a misconception that I have, but it's something I didn't really think about in depth until you mentioned it, how difficult it is to keep out your your judgment of ideas as they come out. I like, yeah. you know, that's probably why it's so difficult to do on your own because you have that internal voice just yeah. that like you're, sieve you're that everything comes sucks. through and it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to shut that off. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the, um, the new or blank sketchbook problem. <laughs> like, I only want good ideas. I, I only want to write down good things. It's like, no, just exactly. don't worry about it. Like, just get something out there. Yep. It's, it's interesting. And that, that just speaks to like the psychology of, of permanence. And Mm -hmm. like, I've always, like I have, you guys can't see it. uh, Listeners can, but I have like a, the, you know, the, the, the notebooks that are, you know, the pages aren't perforated. They're not meant to be torn out. There's a sense of permanence with just the artifact itself that makes you less uh, eager to quote unquote, mess it up. Um, and so I, I generally like hesitate to buy those kinds of notebooks. And instead I just get like a stack of, I always have like a folded up piece of like loose leaf paper or mm-hmm. old receipts that I keep in my back pocket that I can write ideas down because I'm less precious with it that way. Um, 
but at the same time, I like I I selfishly like the look uh, and feel uh-huh. of these like more permanent notepads. So it's like I want to use these, but I don't. Well, and then you have an artifact of it, yeah. which is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Everyone yeah. has a blank I mean, one. Yeah, <laughs> that's it, right. Everyone I, has a blank one. It's true. I, I do kind of struggle with that, like um, you know, so, self-selecting out things that I, I think are no good. Like I have made a concerted effort. I, again, improving, but lots of practice still needed of whenever I do get a notebook like that, making sure that it doesn't have things like perforated pages that I am using a pen and that I am just like putting down kind of whatever and trying to be okay with (laughs) just with that, of like making a mess of it and having it be permanent and just, yeah, it's like, it's a, it's a scary self challenge that I, I've been doing with myself. <laughs> yeah. You can't you can't refract your ink, you know. Exactly. Like I can scribble it out. Which I do that's true. Scribble it out. Yeah, I'm improving, but it's hard. <laughs> it's really yeah. hard. <laughs> so that that idea of of the artifact itself being precious is interesting because a lot of like prototyping tools and things like that actually understand that that psychology. And they build themselves in a way, I'm sure, uh, Charlie, you have a lot of familiarity with, with what I'm getting ready to say, so definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but um, a lot of prototyping tools uh, are, are specifically designed to look not finished, not polished. So uh, one of the prototyping tools that I'm familiar with, like I can build like an interface, uh, a, a mobile app interface, for example, and there's some drag and drop kind of boxes, drop downs, things like that, that I can move around. But the boxes and drop downs themselves, the edges aren't straight. They they are designed to look like someone just like wrote them in, scribbled them in, because there's a psychology of permanence there where it's like, if I show this to someone, I want them to be comfortable saying that shouldn't go there, that's broken. And a lot of people aren't comfortable. They see rigid lines, they see straight lines, they see a box, and they think that's where that's going. I can't. How mm-hmm. dare I tell them that that shouldn't be there or that I don't yeah. think that should be there? Like, and so they, these tools, they specifically are like, we want to make it look kind of like garbage mm-hmm. for a reason. Yeah. Um, make it look yeah. unfinished at least. Yeah. Yep. And that's, and from a brainstorming perspective too, that's also why whiteboards are so helpful instead of like, if it, you know, given a whiteboard versus a screen that I can type from my desk onto like a Google doc. So everyone can see like, they take the same amount of real estate, but you go for the whiteboard every time, even if it's a little bit more cumbersome because of the handwritten feel to it, because of the ease to erase things if you need to, the, the sloppiness of it. It feeds into the idea that what we're doing is not permanent, and that's really important for everyone in the room to sort of understand. Um, and, yeah, it's it's it, it, these sorts of things just they trickle up in this in the world of prototyping and UI design and UX design and that sort of thing all the time, and game design, obviously. Yeah. So. yeah. The one thing that that I also wanted to mention too um, was, and this this is another tool or another way to sort of help get out of this idea of of of, of being precious with your ideas. Um, and I wish I remembered who it was that had come up with this idea, but um, but I don't. So unfortunately, this person will not get credit. But um, they they have this brainstorming uh, tool that they use. That is a, uh, it's like a table. You think of just a table in a spreadsheet or something. And what they do is they have two, they ha- a, a, like uh, in, in the first column, they'll list out things like um, like interface elements. So it could okay. be like a slider, a, a radial button, a checkbox, whatever. And then along the top, they'll have like different, like let's imagine we're a shopping website, like and we sell 
winter apparel, winter apparel, right? At the top, they'll have each of those different things that they might sell, like a glove or a shoe or, uh, you know, a glove or a shoe. We'll stick with those two. Okay. So they, this is a site that sells just gloves and shoes. Um, and, and they're not even winter shoes, which is weird. I don't know why they did that. Uh, so we have this table. And what they do is you say, okay, well, how would, say, a slider, as if that's the first one in the row, how would that impact how the user interacts with a, a, an image of a shoe? And you're like, oh, God, like, what would they do with a slider and a shoe? I guess size, you could, you could yeah. scale the size or maybe scale the color. You know, maybe you could actually have a full spectrum hue and you could say, I want a very specific color. That could be a slider there. Um, but you basically take this approach and you do that throughout all of these things. Okay, how would a glove work with a slider? Uh, maybe it changes the size of the thumb for, okay, let's put that there. Uh, maybe it's, you know, and, and so they fill out these boxes to kind of force you to say, here's the restrictions. Because I think a lot of times people are hesitant to talk because they're like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. But if you're given guidance, if you're given restrictions, it allows you to more comfortably say, it, be, it allows you to be more comfortable saying something you might perceive as stupid mm-hmm. because hey it's not my restrictions these are the restrictions i'm given i have to think of a slider and a glove like well, oh, what, what do you want from me exactly? <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and so it kind of allows you to get out of that mindset um from a game development standpoint i've never personally done this just because i haven't had a group to be able to do this with but like from a game development perspective you might have a list of like uh, or you might have a row on the top of like verbs like mm-hmm. A jump, shoot, run, that sort of thing. And then on the side, you might have things they can interact with, a wall, a pipe, a ball, mm-hmm. uh, a, a lake, I don't know, whatever whatever elements might be in the game. And then you can kind of say, okay, well, what happens if I jump in a lake, on a yeah. lake, through a lake? What happens to the, like, what happens if I throw a ball or if I run through a lake, through uh, above a lake, over a lake? And you start thinking, like, just of these different verbs that branch out to say, like, how 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 do these two things interact together and let's brainstorm kind of on those yeah um so yeah there, there's cool. i think there are a lot of cool applications to be done in the world of game development for sure yeah I, i've never heard of this um table approach um but i really like that and i i've always appreciated and tend to do better with constraints on stuff um I mean, it, that is ironically one of the reasons why I like game jams is like there's the theme, so that is your constraint. Um, there may be other ones, but um, yeah, that that does help to have those kinds of guardrails up or those guides, I guess, mm-hmm. of um, yeah, uh, you know, you, you have to make a slider <laughs> work with this thing or, you know, what, what kind of an action would happen with this piece in your game that otherwise you wouldn't necessarily think to connect it with. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like that. And you, I think as a, as a game designer, as a, as a interface designer or any kind of person who designs something that someone interacts with, um, there's also a certain, I think amount of egotism mm-hmm. to suggest that your idea isn't good because that assumes a lot about what you know about the final product, you know? Yeah. If I say uh, sl- a slider on a glove that changes its its size is absurd, then that says a lot about, that, that, that somehow says like, oh, well, then you must know exactly what the end product is going to be, mm-hmm. you egomaniac. <laughs> like, 
but I don't. I don't know what the end product is going to be. So yeah, maybe a slider to change the size of a glove is stupid, but we don't know that at this point. Yeah. Like nobody knows. Yeah. There's nobody in this room that knows that. So like brainstorming uh, as discovery, I guess. Is yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think that brings an important point to mind too, that like it's good to brainstorm questions, not just answers, mm-hmm. you know, like what should yeah. we be asking or like what problem are we trying to solve and like. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's more if you don't know um, what your product is or what your game is fully, but yeah. I don't know. I think it's, yeah, like you said, it's good to discover. And I think even just asking questions, if you not even if you don't necessarily need them, like that can help bring new answers mm-hmm. to light also. Yeah, or, or kind of unveil whatever assumptions have been made, even if they are unspoken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That can definitely influence people's ideas that they put out or the way that they interpret those ideas. Um, yeah. yeah so let's try a little live brainstorming session here. We've got a, we've got a few minutes left. Um, and there, there are a couple caveats to this that I should announce right away. One, we are not in person, so there is no whiteboard. Um, so already we are not necessarily honoring what we should with a bra- with a really good quality brainstorming session. Um, unfortunately, that's just the reality of the thing. Um, and two, we don't have any um, ability to like. I, I guess we could write the ideas down in a Google Sheet, but I don't also don't want to record the typing my sound yeah. on my keyboard all the time. I wouldn't believe how loud my keyboard gets. <laughs> <laughs> and so, unfortunately, we're going to have to just rely on memory for this. Like when someone says something, jumping off and saying something else. Um, not the ideal way to do it, as I as I talked about, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. So, uh, I'll play the role of the moderator. You two will play the roles of the people who have great ideas, they just don't know they're great yet, or they have no concept of what the word great is because those words don't exist here. You just have ideas. There you so go. many ideas. Here, I've got a, I've got a pen. <laughs> I will try and keep track. Ooh. Oh, nice. Look at that. Um, okay. So, uh, so here's, here's the situation. So we're, we're, we've, we've, ha- we've scheduled this meeting in conference room C and we're going to brainstorm. Um, we're going to brainstorm, uh, ways in which, uh, uh, so we're, we're building a, a 2d side scrolling game cool. and we have it's sort of space themed. Um, listeners who paid attention might, might realize that I'm basically saying, <laughs> saying what I had set up for earlier. Uh, so we have the space themed 2d, uh, game. It's going to be heavy on puzzles, heavy on exploration. Maybe some might call it a Metroidvania. Um, but that's kind of what we're working with. And we have a, a, a an element. We have a laser. We need to figure out how many ways we're going for quantity here. We want okay. lots of ideas. We need to figure out what this laser can do okay. in this game, um, and that's 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 where we're going to start. We're going to start simply that. So, what is this laser capable of doing? Um, and I'll start by just saying it can be interrupted. Right? It, there's a laser that shoots. It can be interrupted and stopped. Yeah. So uh, this laser can be stopped. Um, okay. Uh, if everyone else feel free to go as well, but that that's that's my one idea right now. Yeah. Um, so space themed makes me think about gravity, and gravity can do all sorts of cool shit just by itself. But in terms of influence a laser, I, I would like to see it influence the trajectory of Ooh, the yeah. laser, like bending light. Um, oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. So maybe there's a way. Maybe these lasers can be like the source of the laser can sort of be replaced like you could have a physics laser that actually responds to physics mm-hmm. you could have a laser that responds to um uh f- 
force maybe i don't know i guess that would be <laughs> physics as well um but basically yeah lasers can be can respond to gravity that's mm-hmm. cool okay. like that. yeah. are these lasers part of the environmental aspect of the puzzle or does the character have a laser Oh, why not both yeah. so yeah lasers are movable so the character can carry a laser maybe the character has a laser built in themselves so it's part of their their person um how do these lasers interact with each other so is one laser dominant over the other types of lasers um can they be replaced can i take yeah. my laser off my hand put it where this environment laser is take that environment laser to, to do out. things never cross the beams <laughs> maybe never cross maybe the beams. when you cross them it changes mm-hmm. the color of the laser and the, oh, the I was color. Just thinking can... about colors. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah like, Yellow and blue. Yeah. You have a Ziploc laser. <laughs> turns yeah. green. Yeah. <laughs> it's the um, whole in space time. <laughs> uh, they can. Uh, I, th- I think the lasers can can activate buttons mm-hmm. uh, to 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 open doors or yeah. activate buttons to um, drop things or they can just activate buttons in some mm-hmm. way. Um, um, kind of reminds me of uh, you know using lasers to scan things. Um, ah, yeah. like scan things, taking information maybe mm-hmm. to understand your environment, your world. Yeah. Um, um, also, like thinking about different kinds of effects that lasers could have. Like with scanning, that's a very informational one, but lasers often would do some damage, or maybe they might light, light stuff up, or you know hit hit the button like you said. Um, yeah. Yeah, lasers as a weapon. Yeah. Damage. Yeah, lasers, light, image. How about how do as a maybe as a platform? Not a conventional oh, yeah. aspect Especially, of lasers, oh, but cool. I love it yeah. cuz then that feeds into the the physical or the physics part of it, right? Like if the laser is tangible, it should be able to be stood on, right? Obviously. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that's very cool. Oh, then that tells me okay, so if lasers by definition are the speed of light, um can you slow them down to do something? Like, you know, one of the ele- one of the materials that you add to it can actually slow it down. Like a, ti- for like timing, a timing reasons or whatever. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, and if the laser can be interrupted, like what kinds of interruptions might there be? Like, I, if you were to hit the laser against like something solid, uh, that that would potentially stop it from, you know, going through it unless it's damaging it but what if something actually was changing the device that's emitting the laser and have it be more of a like pulse or something like that like it's an Uh, intermittent laser yeah and uh and maybe even the the material that the laser is hitting and this might be what you were saying Mm -hmm. so sorry if i'm just saying the exact same thing but um (laughs) maybe the material that the laser is hitting actually affects the laser itself Mm -hmm. so like if you shoot into something it turns it into a spread it almost like you know one beam goes in five come out um of some sort of material or something like that stuff that's always fun yeah yeah and then you could oh man and then if you had if you did shoot the laser at the wall it turned into five lasers that come out of the other end now you have basically a ladder because if you apply the physics to that Mm -hmm. now you're able to climb up the laser (laughs) as though there were rungs of a ladder that'd be kind of cool yeah Interesting. It also sort of makes me think of like shmups, like lasers everywhere. Everywhere. Oh yeah, yeah. room filling lasers. That, like especially and... if you what's that? All sorts of different patterns and stuff that you can make yeah. with that. If you have to replicate a pattern, maybe that is a puzzle, right? Yeah. Like if there's there's a weird symbol on the wall the first time you see it, you're like, what is that? Mm-hmm. And then you realize, oh, when I turn on this laser, it reflects off this surface. I move this surface here. It actually now yeah. makes that pattern. Mm-hmm. Door opens. Something Changing like that. the angles and materials of, of things to, mm-hmm. to move that laser differently or, you 
block it, allow yeah. it through, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. What if the player was an obstruction to a laser, assuming that they can be like deployed and set down by the player? Yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe the cool. like. Are you thinking in terms of like? I'm 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 a cursor clicking the player and dragging them around, or like you're maneuvering and stopping, and then that triggers something else. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe you have a player that you can maneuver and set, or when you jump in front of a laser, it breaks a connection, and maybe that can be part yeah. of a puzzle. I don't know. Yeah. Or like a like a like a a friendly teammate or something that like always following you around, and you could put like. Mm-hmm. A goofy, dumb, like, mirror hat. And so they have to stand in front of the laser to, like, yeah. shoot the mirror. <laughs> I like that. I, I kind of have this vision of, like, some character on the outside of a ship having to, like, crawl around it and navigate between, like, laser beams to do, like, repairs or, like, disconnect oh, yeah. certain things. Or maybe you have to, you know, change out one laser for another or adjust its position in order to, you know, achieve whatever the, the goal of the moment is oh yeah I think that'd be fine. that would be interesting i'm thinking like the, the in like super mario world those scenes where you're climbing on the fence you know and so it's like you're climbing on the yeah. fence and so you're having to like move around but uh, imagine lasers kind of yeah. going in between this laser to turn this laser off so that it could mm-hmm. yeah yeah i like that yeah. oh man Gosh. um let's see uh maybe the lasers the 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 a movable laser which um that you could like take off the environment or whatever. Like maybe it's, it's subject to physics. So it could actually like roll. And if it's rolling, it's like shooting the beam like all <laughs> over the place for some reason. Like, Ooh, could that be a distraction for enemies? Um, mm-hmm. Are there enemies in the game yeah. using lasers as the distraction? Or maybe using lasers, lasers obviously as a weapon. You. We talked about that. Yeah. Um, but um, what about like the kinds of other environmental effects that lasers might have? Like, if they hit mm. something inside, it could fill up a room with smoke and do something like obscure your view or their view. Yeah. Like it could obstruct your view. It could also obstruct the enemy's view. Mm. And you could, so you could use that as an offensive oh, kind of thing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it could boil water, Ooh, like so yeah. that the water gets really hot. Maybe steam uh-huh. does something like to you know to the environment. Yeah. Um, there might also be something could, about like the the laser and the engines of whatever this ship is. Like it seems like that that could be very related to however it is like powered. Um, maybe all the lasers need to be connected just right in order to turn the engines on uh, or change how fast you're yeah. going. Something, something like that. So that could all, that could be like the um, maybe that's one of the the sort of level based goals. Is like mm-hmm. you ultimately have to get the laser from one point to the engine or something like you have to have a continuous connection somehow maybe. And so that yeah. could involve crawling on the outside of the ship to navigate and repair lasers mm-hmm. to turn this laser. Maybe there's a laser that's like interrupting another laser. It's perpendicular. Yeah. So you got to turn this one off so that that one is able to reach its spot yeah. um, to ultimately get to like the engine to, you know, to, to so that you can lift off of that planet yeah. and go somewhere else and, <laughs> Somehow, story-wise, your engine breaks again on every planet. Yeah. <laughs> as is tradition. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the idea of having to uh, navigate around the level, connecting lasers to each other, and what, whatever puzzles that might involve. Of um, you know, how, how do I get this thing, you know, 
through this particular like hole or challenge or move it past this other laser or what have you yeah i love um okay i was gonna say it reminds me of this board game i had where it was like chess but you at the end of your turn you press a laser and it hits all the pieces which are just mirrors of different shapes and angles and you're trying to hit the person's king basically so it's like what if you oh, that's cool. what if that was that's part of the puzzle idea. but maybe you had to cross the laser over itself so many times before it hits the engine for it to yeah. increase its power oh, yeah. or something oh i like that yeah 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 increase yeah um and then uh god damn what was i gonna say oh um farts i forgot what i was gonna say never mind <laughs> i think it would be great if, if the laser was this is not the idea i had this is a new idea um <laughs> but it would be cool if like when i said earlier how like how the laser can kind of roll and be erratic or whatever i would love for like a cat to like jump out and start chasing the laser oh my god yes <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> like and that's the only time you ever see this cat yeah it's just like running around oh <laughs> Yeah, better make sure that it's not a damaging laser. We don't, yeah, that's we don't true. Like, oh, no my God, what if it was, though? Maybe, maybe you are stuck on the outside of the ship, and there are only you're locked out. There are only cats on the inside, and you're manipulating the cats with the lasers to get to the engine to fix it. Oh, I love oh, that. That's amazing. That might and that's what game. you do is you fight. Like, so, yeah, the first time that the thing rolls down or whatever, and the cat comes out and goes crazy, that's, the, yeah. that's where you as the player learn. Okay, so cats react to these things, and then later, yeah, when you just see a room full of cats, you're like, oh, "I should probably do yeah, something here." Use the cats to your advantage. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the the thing that I was going to say earlier that I just remembered was um, Gage when you were talking about like I think it was it was well obviously one of the two of you, but I think it was I think it was Gage um, talking about like the idea of loving to see like you're connecting a laser from one spot to another, and you have to like kind of see it throughout the entire pro. No, I think it was you, Charlotte. Yeah, think like you're trying to. <laughs> Figure out, like, there's a laser that you need to get through the wall, figuring out how to get through the wall. Um, one of the things is, like, if it really is, like, a, a level-sized puzzle, right? It's a huge puzzle. The player's not going to be able to see the laser end-to-end -end at all times. And so it could get frustrating for the player to have to yeah. mentally remember, like, okay, well, where where is the... I'm clear over here on this side of the, of the, of the world, but over here is where the laser is currently being blocked. I need a way to constantly reference back and know kind of where the laser is blocked. So maybe mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. some sort of HUD map element or something that sort of yeah. shows you where the laser is now relative to where you are and what's currently blocking it, some sort of feedback system. Mm -hmm. So the player is able to actually understand and not yeah. get frustrated, have to backtrack and relook at something and come back and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, almost like a, a, a mini map for your laser's mm -hmm. current like pattern. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. Yep. Yep. Lasers are neat. Look at this. We have quite yeah. a few, quite a few ideas. See, look at that. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And and we're pretty much right at time, so I, I can call it now. Um, normally, I wouldn't. Normally, like you keep going like this for like an hour or so, and it's so much fun. But I think what 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 the benefit of the, of this kind of thing too, and I'm hoping people like kind of feel anyway is, um, you know, something that I've always kind of said is is. Motivation is 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 difficult to get. Sometimes it's difficult to be motivated on a project because uh, for various reasons. But one of the one of the highest direct motivators is fun. You have, it's mm -hmm. just simply the idea of fun. And if you're having fun doing something, then you're more likely to want to do it. And also, um, in, in in game development, like you're having fun when you have ideas and you're able to actually implement those ideas and, and do cool things. You're, you're not having fun if you have no ideas and you're staring yeah. at a blank screen and you're like, this is this is ridiculous. So if you are making this space-themed game, 
imagine had you not had this brainstorming session and you basically said, all right, so I have a laser. Uh, it can open doors. That's all. That's the only, the only real puzzle I have thinking. But now imagine having this this page full of like crazy weird ideas and you can kind of go through and say that mm-hmm. that idea is cool. That's the one I want to build a puzzle around right now. You can jump right into it, build that yeah. puzzle, go on to the next one. You just have these ideas that can help keep you motivated in a way that blank space just simply cannot. Yeah. And so motivation is a really big benefit to, to brainstorming, I think. Cool. So, but yeah. Yeah, for brainstorming. I hope that was, I hope that was fun. Was that fun for you guys? Yeah, I, yeah, that, I enjoyed that was, myself. That was fun and, yeah, <laughs> that, definitely helpful for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good. Well, I hope it was also fun for the listener. It might not have been as much fun for the listener because you can't see our faces getting all excited when we think of (laughs) these ideas. I almost said crazy ideas, but they're not crazy. They're just ideas. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun for me, hopefully fun for you, the listener. Um, we really appreciate you, you listening, uh, through this somewhat strange episode. Um, what games did we talk about? We talked about, uh, Shin Megami Tensei five. We talked about unpacking. We talked about mass effect two and one, uh, we talked about, I think that was it, right? We yeah. didn't talk about any other games or something. I don't think we did. I think that was about it. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, um, so yeah. Mention, brief uh, mentions for persona. Oh yeah. Persona. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Talked a little bit about persona. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, so, yeah, so yeah, that, that's, that's, that's the games. Uh, if you want to go play some of those, you probably should, I don't know, uh, but thank you so much for listening. Um, if you have any comments to make on this or any other flyover Indies podcast episode, please feel free to tweet us at flyover Indies or email us at contact at flyoverindies.party. Uh, we might just read your tweets or emails in a future episode. Um, now if, uh, <laughs> that was a weird transition. Um, <laughs> So how can you get hold of us if you would like to talk with us personally? Um, you can get a hold of me at Caleb J. Ross on Twitter or CalebJRoss.com on the rest of the internet. <laughs> um, Charlotte, where can people find you should you wish to be found? Yeah, uh, you can track me down on Twitter. Uh, I am at C-T-R-B-L-E. Awesome. And what about you, Gage? Should you wish to be found? Where can people find yeah, you? I'm also on Twitter at uh, DrumGadget underscore 433. Nice. And the intro and outro music that you're listening to maybe right now can uh, came from Nash, who can be found at www.nashhigh.com. And also there's a link in the show notes uh, to a lot of the games that we've made at Flyover Indies. So you can click on that and check those out. Have fun with those or hate them. Either way, you're having experience that's that's a good experience probably. So thank you so much for listening. And we will talk... You'll hear you'll hear us talk to you in the next episode. More words later. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you.